jackpot. And Hattie Wright, in double quick time, is an international goal scorer. Live and underway here on ESPN Plus, alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar, and we are coming to you in the immediate aftermath of the United States against Morocco in Cincinnati. We'll get into the details later, but pretty good performance, yeah? Uh, very good performance. We were talking about it off-air um, a little while ago. You've not seen a convincing U.S. men's national mm-hmm. performance like that probably since the second half in Cincinnati versus the Mexican national team. It's, it's been that long. You could say Panama, but even that Panama game had a few sh- very shaky defensive moments, as convincing as a performance as you could have. All right, so we got a lot to get to uh, in this show. We got the latest news from both Major League Soccer uh, and Liga Mekis. We got the top 10 goals not of the week, Herc, of the month oh, of May. Plus, we got a preview of Mexico against Uruguay. That is tomorrow in Glendale, Arizona. But let's start with the highlights from TQL Stadium in Cincinnati, the United States against Morocco. Morocco, of course, also headed to the World Cup in Qatar. They're in Canada's group. We've been to Cincinnati. We know the stadium could get loud. Not a ton of U.S. fans, at least not early. They weren't that visible. Four minutes in, the U.S., Looking good on the attack, Christian Pulisic with an early warning shot. Yeah, Christian Pulisic was very active in this game. Watch him set himself up right here, a little step over crossover, and then left-footed right there, deflection. But he's uh, active, and he's active early. Early on, this game was very open, back and forth. Morocco here with a chance in the 12th minute and a good opportunity at that. Matt Turner with the big save. Yeah, Matt Turner with the big save coming down the left-hand side. Right-hand side for the U.S. men's national team. Center backs get split apart. Watch this right here. Cuts him, and then... Erlang does good, last-ditch effort there, but the, the, the amount of times that Long and, and Walker Zimmerman were spread out, were, were spread thin, uh, a little concerning there. Yeah, Morocco definitely grew into the match, very dangerous between the 15th and 30th minute. Another chance here in the 19th, but Turner again getting the job done. Here's the breakthrough for the Americans. Long ball in for Christian Pulisic. Cuts one, cuts two, easy feed for Aronson. I mean, where do we start? How about the ball out of the back from Walker Zimmerman? Didn't know he had that in his locker, did you? The touch, silky smooth to bring it down. The cutback, the presence of mind. I mean, Brendan Aronson, Jedi, pick your poison. Six minutes later, 2-0, Tim Weah, the shot. Bono going to want that one back. You think? (laughs) Ooh, I mean, he hits this. Strong, I guess, but this is completely savable. Could have put his chest in between that, kept it out. He didn't. Uh, Timmy Weah, he won't care. He'll take that. Absolutely. 2-0 at the half. Some changes at the half. One of them, Haji Wright, 49th minute. Great chance, but can't make it three. Yeah, immediately. You're a 90. Immediately be dangerous. Make yourself present. That's what he did. 53rd minute. Chance for Morocco. Matt Turner, big point-blank stop. All right, Cameron Carter-Vickers in the game now. This is why you're there. You're a big physical center back. I mean, he's only 6'1", but you have to make that play. U.S. pressing forward. Aronson shot save. Pulisic not going to score, but he's going to draw the foul. That's just a clumsy challenge by Hakimi. Brendan Aronson, very good on the night. Christian Pulisic was excellent in between two players. And, and, you know, on my... uh, my prop bet for the day on Aronunca was uh, Christian Pulisic, and I thought it'd be via penalty, and look what he did. I know. He gives it up for Haji Wright, former youth national teammates, and on his senior debut, Haji with a goal. Yeah, listen, you're a nine. You're there to score goals. All the other stuff is, is extra. you got to score goals, and that's how you stay in that lineup. 3 nothing. U.S. roll in 65th minute. Christian Pulisic comes off. That's noteworthy, but this perhaps a little bit more. Malik Tillman, young man who's played a few times already for Bayern Munich, just 20 years old, making his U.S debut and then Joe Scally here whistled for a penalty whoa, 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 whoa. what uh, what did you say uh, whoa, 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 whoa. what where's the contact think... here up down anywhere no there it is no no it isn't uh wow uh, no var I guess but uh hey ball don't lie right Maddie you tweeted it and it was true Turner getting some help there from the crossbar let's get more reaction post game the U.S. gets a 3-0 win over 24th-ranked Morocco. What did the U.S. show here tonight? Yeah, I mean, it was a great win. We're really happy. Uh, we started really well, got that early goal, and, uh, yeah, just a really uh, really strong performance. I have to ask you about handing the ball off there to your former roommate, Haji Wright. 
Yeah, I mean, Haji's, <laughs> Haji, we, we go way back, so um, I think he, uh, he needed that goal, and uh, he said he was confident to go step up and take it, so uh, I wanted him to, to get that confidence, and I'm happy he scored. It's been a couple months since you were back in front of these U.S. fans. How'd it feel tonight? Um, yeah, it was nice. To be honest, uh, for whatever reason, I'm not super happy with uh, the amount of Americans here. However, that works out, if I'm being completely honest. Um, but uh, it's thanks to the ones who did come, and uh, the support is always great from them. Um, but yeah, it's nice to be back in America and playing again. Thank you, Christian. Thank you. Interesting and newsworthy. Right, no Pulisic more Mr. Nice Guy there from Captain America. Christian Pulisic <coughs> calling out the fans, Herc. What do you think? I think he's a little confused. I think he meant the amount of U.S. men's national team fans. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a lot of Americans in those stands. Who whether, support Morocco, right. Right, yeah. whether they support Morocco or not. Um, but it, it was noticeable on the broadcast, it right? It was noticeable. There were, A, empty seats, and there, uh, was, there, was, there was a lot of noise. Which Morocco is surprising because anything positive. I thought part of the reason this game was moved to Cincinnati is because of its amazing support in Cincinnati. Do you really think that? I think it's no, because the that's federation, because federation comfortable yes. there. Not only are they comfortable there, but you build a stadium. I'm sure there are some contractual obligations that you have to fulfill. I'm sure the U.S. men's national team may be one of them. Uh, I like the great, I like the fight yeah. in Christian Pulisic. He was probably the best player on the field tonight. Yeah, let's no. Be honest. On both teams. He, yeah. he, was, he was extremely good, uh, very present all the time. I don't know if picking fights with the fan base um, – is the best idea. Do you think idea. that's picking a fight with a fan base, or do you think that's being honest in, you know, 30 seconds after a match? It could be in the heat of the moment, but yeah. still, it's still, it's, it's, it's a dig at the fan base because yeah. you're saying they don't support you. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was really good tonight. It was a, a little bit different role. Obviously, when he's with Chelsea, he's always kind of playing um, all over the place. He was on the ball a lot tonight. Wow. He was wide at times. He was free. He found himself central. It is, he was free. It's a free role. It's, it's a free role, and that's what it is. When he's with Chelsea, it's not really a free role. I mean, he's operating out of wing. Oftentimes, we've seen him in this season operating from a right wing back position, but that's not the case with the U.S. Men's National Team. He may start on the left, but he'll end up wherever he wants. And in ending up wherever he wants, he influences the game a lot more. Look at the ball yeah. that Walker Zimmerman plays. It's a great diagonal run. It's really not even that good of a run. It's that good of a ball, but the ability to bring that down. I mean, the disgusting sick yes. touch as that was, and in the presence of mind to cut it back and know that you have not only Brendan Aronson, but I mean, Anthony Robinson could have slotted that in as well. It was just such a great uh, play by Christian Pulisic, and we're starting to see the best of him with the U.S. Men's National. That's what the, you need to see with him. You saw that graphic. Fastest player to get to 20 goals, 10 assists. Was it 49 games? Yep. He's still a very young man. The knock on Pulisic during his time, or at least recently with Chelsea, is that final touch, that final ball. That clearly wasn't a problem tonight, so you like to see it. As far as the record goes, he beats Landon Donovan there, huh? First U.S. player, fastest U.S. player to double-digit goals and assists. One game ahead of Landon Donovan. You get the feeling those guys are going to be measured against each other for the rest of time. Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey, uh, Claudio Reyna. Where am I going with this? <laughs> I'm going with the, the best players the U.S. men's national team has ever had. Christian Pulisic, at least at a club level, has already surpassed them. That's just a reality. Now can he do it at, a club or at the national team level? Well, He's going to be one step closer to trying it in his first World Cup. We got a, a summer to figure out what's next for Christian Pulisic at club level. Let's talk about the team performance, though, because we mentioned off the top of the show, it was really good. You said best you've seen since Mexico. Yeah, off, a lot of moments in Panama where they were very good, but I think overall that second half versus Mexico is dominated. When, when you say best, do you mean best overall, or do you mean best in terms of attack? Because they were, they were vulnerable tonight, weren't yes, they? Yes, they're always vulnerable, let's be honest. It's, it's this vulnerable against CONCACAF opponent? I think they were more vulnerable tonight. I mean, they were, they were more vulnerable versus Panama, if you think about it. I mean, Panama had more opportunities on goal, and that could, that could be because there was a shaky performance from uh, maybe Shaq Moore, who was not in a, a, in a usual starter, Zach Steffen, who wasn't his usual self, uh, whatever the case may be. But that Panama game, mm -hmm. the opponent was a lot more dangerous than this Morocco team. There were half chances here. There were things that I expected because they're not familiar with each other, whether that's Walker Zimmerman uh, playing alongside Aaron Long, whether that's Cameron Carter-Vickers playing alongside Aaron Long, whether that's Joe Scally coming in, making his debut, uh, the amount of changes that were made, yeah. they were expected to say the least. Yeah, a 3-0 win over a team that's going to the World Cup without starters, McKinney, Des, Stefan, and Miles Robinson, right? Those are four starters you pretty much, if not pen in, pencil in for World Cup qualifying. To play this well, I thought was really good. You brought up a point a lot during qualifying, which is we hadn't seen the performances. You never really criticized the results so much under no. Berhalter. But what you kept going back to was Greg Berhalter and the Federation promised us something in terms of style of Correct. play, performance. And we didn't see that through no. qualifying. Did we see some of that tonight? Absolutely. Yeah, and, there you go. And, and you heard... Uh, 
Taylor Twelman on the broadcast, excuse me, referring to the mm-hmm. being proactive, not reactive. Oftentimes, that's been the mo of the U.S. men's national team is how they react to the opponent. The opponent. Well, it would have been very easy of them to react to a Moroccan team, a team that's a World Cup opponent, mm-hmm. a team that's. This, before this game, that's had only lost once. For, had said, only lost once. We spoke right. about Greg Berhalter's marquee wins, right? Where were they? Where were they before qualifying? He finally got them. Before the Nations League, I mean, that was the first marquee win. He finally got them. Now can you build the brand? Now can you make them play the way you want? Maybe it was an off day for Morocco, but tonight they played the part. You know what goes a long way to, to playing that way, I think? Fast start. Something we didn't see at yeah. all in World Cup qualifying. Something I think we really did see Very in this true. game. Those first 10 minutes, the U.S. was ready. Maybe Morocco wasn't, but the U.S. was definitely uh, ready to play. Let's get into some individual performances. Stock up, stock down. Let's start at the, the most important position on the board right now. That is number nine. Jesus Ferreira got the start. Does his stock go up, Herc, or go down after the performance against Morocco? It stays steady. No. Now, let, let me, you can't sit on the fence on the first you stock knew up and I down was going to sit on the fence here. It's not sitting on the fence. Let me tell you why. First 10 to 15 minutes, I'm thinking to myself, man, he's convincing me as a nine. He's growing on me as a nine. The movement, the interpretation, you know, uh, of how to combine with certain players, the, the explosiveness, excuse me, to get a shot off. He's very active. And then minute 16 on and you're like Mm. what happened the 46th minute you're like oh there he is again so it's like he shows you why he should be growing on you and then you're like where's he the rest of the game and it's one of these things he neither did anything to advance his stock in my eyes with the u.s men's national but he also didn't hurt himself Mm. okay so to me if he didn't advance his position in a tight race for that spot then then his stock goes down. He got the start. He needed to do something. Here's what we've seen from Jesus Ferreira so far. We know he can score at MLS level, right? right? We don't know if he can be that decisive player as a number nine at the international level. We saw him get the start in World Cup qualifying against El Salvador. Yeah. He had a big chance in that he game. Didn't take it. He did get an assist in that game, but didn't get the goal. He did score against Panama in right. a 5-1 win. I think it was the third goal. So maybe not a, yeah. a huge goal there. But I think there's still a question with Ferreira. Is he going to be a goal-scoring nine at the international level? Totally has proven that he can do it at the club level. Right. Tonight, he has that big chance, that one-on-one, and he misses it. For me, that's why the stock goes down. If he converts that stock up, the, the fact that he misses it, stock down. That's the nines only question left goals. about him. Nines need to score goals. You know I'm about that right. life. I'm about that mentality. Uh, but he's very dangerous, Seb. He's very, there's not been one game where you've seen him you play. You want your nine to score to set up. Well, it depends who else is scoring. Yep, right. It's a reality. And I think actually Greg Berhalter likes his nines. To set up. To set up. Yeah, I, I don't do think he well. doesn't want them to score, but of he course. loves a set up nine. Of course, yeah. and I think that's why you're seeing um, Jesus Ferreira in that position. Jesus Ferreira with the ability to set other players up. Jesus Ferreira having great opportunities on goal. That's why I say it's steady, because okay. he's always showing you how dangerous he is. I'm still not convinced that he's an out-and-out nine at this level, but compared to the rest, I think he maintains a position. Okay, let's go from the forward to the midfield line. A little bit of a change here. Brendan Aronson operating tonight as an eight. So, look, we know he's going to Qatar if he's healthy. Is his stock up or down as an eight, Herc, from the performance you saw tonight? Up. Up, 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 up. I don't care where this kid is playing. I mean, stock up because he just shows you how dangerous he can be, how composed he is on the ball, how creative he is, but also as as an eight. And he showed this, the bite, the grit the duality to his game. I mean, the motor that he has is insane. How he joins Christian Pulisic into that attack was like a 45-yard run. Uh, This is a player that what I love most about him is he will make that effort to get into the attack, but he will also make the effort to win the ball. And in transition, he's the first one playing out. He's a very good player. I don't care where you play him, but he's a player that I do see playing centrally, especially especially if Giovanni Reina is not healthy for whatever reason. Wow. Okay, this was not very hard. I'm going to agree with you here at Stock Up. My concern about Aronson at the number eight, not really concern, but question, was physicality. Now, Brendan Aronson has plenty of physicality in terms of movement, the distance he covers. I'm talking about you, being, being more like heart, physical, I'm not. instead of somebody who's scrawny and skinny like me. Aronson <laughs> looks like a, a scrawny guy, but we saw it in the eighth minute, right? There's that big challenge. He steps up in the press, and I actually thought he, I actually thought he fouled the Moroccan player, but I did as he well. creates a turnover, and I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know you had that in your bag. If you can bring that to the eight position, definitely stock up. I guess my question is, for you, did he play well enough as an eight to take him off the wing? 
I don't because that's really what it is, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's it's that situation. I think the producers in my ear right now. It's who's available, who goes out. Because uh, if you so if have, you drop him in as an eight, who are you taking out? It's got to be Musa, right? You're not taking out McKinney provided health. Yeah, it's Musa. It's Musa. But same thing with Giovanni as in that position. It's Musa. He's odd man out, and I love I love the way he drives. I love everything about his game. But there's a certain sense of duality to both Weston McKinney and, and Brendan Aronson, who you claim isn't physical. I would encourage no, you to I go back I, yeah. to go, go back to, into that, to that to that game versus Bayern Munich. Uh, the first leg, I mean, he was all over the place. Both sides of the ball, I thought he was extremely well. Extremely yeah, good. Phys- physicality wasn't the right word. Maybe more like bite. And maybe that would be my one concern here. Like a Tyler Adams bite, you mean? Yeah, and one thing I would say if you look at, we talked about the vulnerability for the U.S. That wasn't all on the back line. Some of that was... There were holes. There were spaces in the midfield. So when we talk about the function of this midfield three with Aronson, maybe I wasn't that impressed defensively because it did seem like Morocco had a lot of ease creating those chances to the middle. So uh, I thought Brendan Aronson played well. I don't know how much the need is there for him as an eight. You're you're talking about Musa. Musa's not a guy anybody wants to take out of the eleven. No one, I don't hear that refrain from U.S. fans. We we need to figure out somebody else for Musa. People love the MMA midfield. Uh, They do. Um, what I would say is if I have healthy wingers and Giovanni Reyna is healthy himself, Musa may be odd man out with me to put Giovanni Reyna in the midfield. Okay. So we focused on the center of the park in terms of the midfield. Let's talk defense because the Miles Robinson injury uh, is a huge one for this United States national team, and it opens up a big hole at the back. Who will partner with Walker Zimmerman tonight in terms of the starting lineup? It was Aaron Long. So stock up or stock down her on this partnership. Stock down. Mm. Um, Here's my worry with this partnership. There isn't enough quality on the ball between the two of them. Just talk about Walker Zimmerman hit this amazing ball to Christian Pulisic. Consistently. Okay. And that's the thing, especially how Greg Berhalter wants to play. I think you need to have one at least ball playing center back. And not that Walker Zimmerman can't every once in a while be that guy, but you don't want him to. And I don't think you want Aaron Long to be that guy either. Okay. And as you can see in this game, oftentimes they were spread apart. Oftentimes the communication was lacking, which is expected because they've never played together really. Which is expected because Aaron Long, he may be physically fit and playing at a club level, but he's not played much for the U.S. men's national team. So there may be that rust, if you will. But when it comes to picking your center backs, and I'm convinced, I have no issue with Walker Zimmer. I think he's a very good center back, and I think he has the capacity to play well with the ball at times, evidence to that goal that he pretty much set up with Christian Pulisic and Brendan Aronson. It's the quality you have on the ball. Mm. And if he doesn't consistently have that quality, you need to pair him with somebody who does have that quality. And it's Chris Richards in my eyes right is now. Is it? If it's not John Brooks, it's Chris Richards in my eyes. Right. I was going to ask you who that next guy is, who's right. that next ball player. You've always said it's Brooks, but... Chris Richards next. We've heard Chris Richards be linked to a lot of teams yeah. like Crystal Palace in the Premier League, so it uh, could be a good shot for him. We also got to see another option at center back, Cameron Carter-Vickers for the second half. What did you think of his performance? So you play in a league like the Scottish Premiership, mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot of crosses coming in. You're going to see a lot of physical play. Mm-hmm. The one play he had to prove himself in that one was the one that it got over him and in between Aaron Long, and it was an opportunity uh, for the Moroccan national team. If not for Matt Turner, who we'll get to in a second, it could have been uh, a different story. So it, you're very good at doing something, do it. Yeah. You've got very few opportunities to make a name for yourself, so do it. And it was an opportunity he missed there. Yeah, I'm stocked down here uh, too as well for the partnership between Zimmerman and Long. Though I will say this, sir. I didn't think Aaron Long necessarily played bad. We showed no. it in the highlight. No. That last ditch. You had a tackle, couple last ditch efforts that were play. very good. But if you're right. judging the partnership together, it goes right. a lot further than that. I think at this point, we all assume Zimmerman health, if he's healthy. Lockdown starter in Qatar? I think he's de facto number one right now. Right, right. Greg Berhalter? Yes. You're basically looking at who is going to be his partner. And that may mean you don't end up with the second best center back, right? You may end up with the center back that best pairs with Zimmerman. Again, a long way to go to find out who that is. Let's go to the back. The back back. The goalie position. Matt Turner getting the start tonight. Herc, he keeps a, oh, no. Let's not go to Matt Turner. Let's keep talking for there we go, nine. I got a number nine right, uh, right across from me here in studio. Haji Wright, his senior debut, gets a goal from the penalty spot. We've been talking about him a lot on the show recently, Herc. Haji Wright, stock up or stock down? Stock down. What? Come on, Seb. I, was, I thought. Come on, Seb. It's stock up. It's stock up. I mean, how can it not be? Because all we talk about is this kid scoring goals. All we talk about is 
Well, look at his pedigree with the youth national teams. Look at his friendship with Christian Pulisic. Look, they were there to see Haji Wright. Borussia Dortmund was there to see Haji Wright. They took Christian Pulisic. This kid has pedigree. Where has he been? He finally shows up. Was it 16, 15 goals in the, in the in Turkish first division? Uh, What's he do now? Score another goal. I don't care how he does it. He puts the ball in the back of the net, and I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. Mm -hmm. But watch his play. Watch the hold-up play. Watch how simple he is with the ball. He stops it. He gets it. He plays it back. He gets in a position. He makes a run. He sees somebody who he knows can get him the ball in a good position. He makes a run. He's dangerous. Third minute that he was in the game, he already had an opportunity on goal. Came across his left to get opportunity. Got across the face of goal. Didn't go in, but he was already dangerous. And you're a nine. You're a nine that's not been with this setup one single second, one single minute, one single camp. What do you need to do? You need to score goals. Because if you want to make it to the World Cup and you've not been part of this World Cup cycle, you are taking somebody's position who has. Mm. You are on the outside looking in. And I've been in that position and it's a scary place to be. And the only thing you can do to defend yourself is score goals. I'm going stock up here as well. And it's kind of harsh, right? Because when we talked about Jesus Ferreira, I said he had one chance. He didn't take it. And that's why he goes stock down. Well, here Haji Wright had one chance, aside from the penalty, and he didn't take it, and it was a one-on-one too. Here's the thing. It was, it was a pretty clear one-on-one. He also creates that chance, right? If, you, if we run the tape back on that heel. play, it's him back to goal. Yeah. I think I'd seen on paper before, and I'd watched him play, and I'd seen that Haji Wright was 6'3". He looks, feels even bigger. He, in a fast. Way, yeah, and fast. in a way that Jordan Peefock, when he played, didn't. Haji Wright feels like a target. Do you get that sense from, from watching him play? So I've watched a lot of his, his play over the last uh, month, month and a half, because he's been on this yep. goal-scoring tear. And I would say he's not always the cleanest, mm. but he's getting better. But he's very simple. He doesn't complicate things. He gets the ball to people he knows can get him into great spots. But he's not... I don't think he or Peefock are the physical nines that are going to battle or crash into you. Mm. I do think Haji separates himself from Peefock because he has that separation as far as speed, that separation as far as interpretation. Ah, I was going to ask because they have very similar profiles in terms of where they're playing, yeah. the amount of goals they're scoring, even their age. I think Peefock's 25, Haji Wright's 24. So they're right there. You've got Wright ahead of Peefock? No, 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 no. I've got right ahead of Peefock in separation, okay. in speed, anticipation, but okay. Peefock is more of a nine in the box. Like okay. He's just an aerial presence. He's very good at getting in and things like that. I think Haji's very good at getting behind players and using that to his advantage. Haji Wright, one of uh, three halftime subs for Greg Berhalter. We mentioned Cameron Carter-Bickers, uh, Joe Scally as well, who you saw got called for the penalty. Um, all right. Who else we got on the stock up or stock down? Ah, yes, the aforementioned Matt Turner. Gets the uh, clean sheet tonight. You give him a stock up or stock down? Stock up. And we mentioned it with uh, Casey Keller. It's out of sight, out of mind. Uh, Zach Steffen is not with the U.S. Men's National Team at this time uh, for personal reasons, and he's leaving the door open. And <laughs> Matt Turner, Matty Ice, per usual, when that door is left open, he will keep it open. And there were times where there maybe weren't clear chances, half chances, maybe at him, maybe positional saves, reaction saves. He was very busy. But he was busy and he kept the ball out of the net. And that's what he does. It's uh, Matty clean sheets here and he does it again. So Zach Steffen leaves this door open, maybe to no fault of his own, but the door is open and Matt Turner is making sure it stays open. This is a stock up, as you say, as much for what Matt Turner did tonight as much for the fact that Zach Steffen is not there tonight to defend his spot. I thought Turner was very good. The one thing I would say, and I don't know if you noticed this tonight, Almost everything seemed to come with a bobble from Matt Turner. Did you catch that? Mm. Every shot was like a second effort save, a bobble. He came out off, off, the, off the crossbar on the penalty, came out to grab it and couldn't. So Might you're saying harsh? he's not clean? I think you're being a little harsh. You're saying really? he's not clean? Yeah. I mean, look, I'll say you keep a clean sheet against a team like Morocco when you're that busy. I'm not going to stock down you. You know, it's, and I'm, this isn't a shot at you, but it, it's funny because we, we see a lot of this from people where it's, we talk about Zach Steffen and how good he could be playing the ball out, you know, out oh, of his feet. I, I wasn't talking about with his No, I, I understand what you're talking about. Hands. I understand yeah. what you're talking about. And all of a sudden you hear people, I don't care about that. Keep the ball out of the back of the net. Keep the ball out of the back of the net. And here you have a goalkeeper who keeps the ball out of the back of the net. Maybe he isn't as clean with his feet. And maybe he's for the first time in a long time just getting back to the swing of things with the national team. 
and he just wants to keep the ball yeah. out of the back of the net. So his touches aren't clean. So it's, and it's not a shot at you, it's something that we see a lot with fans. It's, what do you want from your goalkeepers? Do you want a goalkeeper who's going to be perfect? That's not going to happen. Neither Matt Turner, Turner nor Zach Steffen will be perfect for you. They may be good on the day, but neither one will be a perfect goalkeeper for you. Taylor Twellman on the broadcast said he thinks it's Matt Turner's job to lose. You agree? No. Yeah. No, I don't either. Not. not not because I actually don't think that Turner. It shouldn't be Turner's job to lose. Like I don't disagree with the idea. I just don't think that's how the national team manager sees it. And I think if we go back to qualifying, there's plenty of evidence that if it's even, or even if Turner's a little bit ahead, it's going to be Zach Steffen for Burhalter. Yeah, not a shot at Twelman, but I mean, same breath. He also said that Sean Johnson was in the conversation yeah. by speaking to Greg Burhalter. So that should tell you everything you need to know. It's right wide there. open, isn't it? It's, it's, you know what? It, we could say the nine position, the yeah. center back position are the most wide open ones. Mm. But I don't know. It, because Greg Berhalter has proven, has thrown us for a loop every single time. So when we think it should be Matt Turner, it's Zach Steffen. When we think it should be Zach Steffen, doors back open for Matt Turner. And all of a sudden, it could be Sean Johnson playing a game. Right. I mean, uh, Ethan Horvath, Sean Johnson, you never know. Speaking of Greg Berhalter, we're going to hear from him in just a little bit. Uh, Uruguay will play, uh, U.S. will play against Uruguay on Sunday uh, in Kansas City. Let's look ahead to that game before we hear from the manager. What do you want to see? Who do you want to see different uh, in that game? Well, uh, Malik Tillman, somebody that I think. Uh, you want to see him start? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just everything I've been reading, everything that I've been just feeling out of the situation, I don't want to say certain things were promised. But there's a plan for right. him. He sees a plan you, for and himself. You think an immediate plan, an not immediate a plan, not a 2026 plan, right? plan. That leads me to believe, in these couple games, he should feature. What did you think of the half hour from tonight? Quiet. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was a little minute where he goes like one on one with somebody in the box, gets a left footed shot. I mean, yeah. he's got something to him. Oh, but he's got something. Of course, you can't be in the Bayern Munich setup if you don't have something to you. Mm. I mean, he's definitely a talented player, but to make that flight, to get on that flight, I want to see. I got some things written down. I want to see more Tillman. I'd love to see Weston McKinney, I think, at some point. Yeah, I think uh, that's more of a totally, managing the minutes type of deal, right? Totally, but with all of these new pieces in midfield, let's not – like, I want to see how they fit with the guys that are actually going to be there when it matters. And you know, if he's healthy, Weston McKinney's definitely going to be in that lineup. So if we're going to compare – if we're going to think about what Aronson looks like as an eight, I want to see what Aronson looks like as an eight uh, next to McKinney. The other things that I thought maybe – Spots to, of concern, things to shore up against Uruguay. One was set pieces, and the other is just giving up less chances. Offensive set pieces you're talking about? I thought, because I, I thought again, Christian Pulisic was not great on the offensive side of the I didn't think the attacking ball. set pieces were great, and I thought there were some moments of nerves on defensive set pieces yeah. as well, which I don't think you know, we really expect from the United States. It's true. I mean, historically, you don't expect that from the United States. Um, I will add the outside backs. Mm-hmm. Joe Scali came on. He was quiet. You can... Say that's nerves. You could say it's, you know, playing for the first time with the U.S. men's national team, what that looks like. And Reggie Cannon. I didn't enjoy this Reggie Cannon advancing Anthony Robinson, him playing as a third center back. I know he plays it at the club level. It, it wasn't for me, and I don't want to really see that going forward. I want to complicate anything more than, than you really need to at this point heading into a World Cup. All right, enough on our thoughts on what just happened in Cincinnati. Let's go to TQL Stadium and hear from the man who's in charge of it all, Greg Burhalter. Here he is. Talking about playing a World Cup opponent, we've spent the last eight months watching qualifiers, right? Which are really gritty, intense games that looked so much different from what we saw tonight. What did we see tonight or what did you see tonight that might reflect anything that might happen during a game with the tactics, with the model, with the approach once once you're in Qatar? What what might rip forward? Yeah, I think there's... um you see, it was it's a game of, of moments, right? The, the intensity, I think the weather in fa- affected the intensity um, of the game, right? We went hard out, but it affected you, right? You can't recover as quickly in, in these conditions. So that was one thing. But I think it's, a, it's about moments, and, and we have to be really careful um, and really deliberate to keep the ball when we can and really hurt the opponent in, in certain moments with the ball. And if you see on our second goal, I mean, how many, t- how long do we have the ball before we scored the second goal? For a while, yeah. And that's perfect. I mean, just keep doing that, keep wearing them down, wait for an opening, and then play behind. The tempo, I think you need to control the tempo of these games because there's going to be very little separating the teams at the World Cup. 
and it's about the teams that can control the tempo and then be decisive in the key moments. Greg, uh, earlier in the week I asked you about a couple of the guys that were part of that U23 group in 2019, Haji and Cameron. Uh, tonight they both played, and what have you seen from them in camp? How have you seen them improve? And tonight you see Haji, uh, the way his teammates kind of wanted him to win, and, and what does that say about how he's, you know, how he's looked in camp? And as far as Cameron goes, what have you thought of how he's improved over the last couple of years? Yeah, I think sometimes when when a, a new player comes into the group, it's very difficult for them to break in but what i hear time and time again when new players come into our environment is that they're welcomed and and people and they're they feel really comfortable and they're in a good position to perform and that's the most important thing and i'm, I'm proud of that because i know now is you know competitive time right people are, are jockeying for positions on the world cup team potentially but you don't see it from this guys you see they work extremely hard and they're they're extremely close together as a group, which is fun. Uh, no, I think that um, you know, uh, Haji did well today when he came in, and and Cam also. You know, I mean, we're we're going to look at the tape more, but you can see that Cam has a different poise than he had when he was in in 2019, and that that's really good to see. Uh, in duels, he looks strong, um, he's calm, and, and you know that's what you want from your center backs. There are the words from Greg Berhalter in Cincinnati as the U.S. defeats Morocco 3-0 in an international friendly building up to the World Cup uh, in Qatar. Berhalter's got to be feeling pretty good tonight, yeah? Yeah. I mean, there are a few things a manager could ask out of a makeshift team with so many substitutions and, and, and get that kind of result versus that kind of opponent. So he's got to be feeling good about what he saw. There you go. The U.S. Uh, getting a big, convincing victory uh, over Morocco. They also got some uh, more good news tonight. Gio Reyna is back on the field and back to training. Of course, been dealing with just hamstring injury after hamstring injury here from his own Instagram in Austin, getting it in. His father is the sporting director uh, at Austin FC. Um, so he's in Austin training, probably his family lives there. It's good to see him back. Don't underestimate how important he is to the U.S. men's national team and where he was not too long ago, five month injury. Mm. World Cup qualifying, of course, is still going on. Scotland and Ukraine playing earlier today in Hamden Park. Winner of this game gets Wales on Sunday. Winner of that into the U.S. group at the World Cup. Ukraine going ahead in the 33rd through Andrei Yarmolenko. Yeah, good goal by Christian Pulisic. Wait, what? <laughs> Yarmolenko and Pulisic uh, on the same breakfast plan. What did they eat? Beautiful touch, a ridiculous finish. It was that easy. Ukraine getting a second in the 49th. Roman Yeremchuk. I mean, Yeremchuk with that kind of frame. <laughs> Ball comes in, he's got three guys draped on him, no problem. Look at the scenes there, the Ukrainian fans going wild. Scotland with some hope late. Callum McGregor. McGregor! Just getting it over the line. This is a tough one. Uh, goalkeeper here just bobbles that off the line. I had my doubts, but he ended up really being in, and then, well. 1v1 at the end. Not the only one he had. Not the only 1v1 they had at the end, by the way. Artem Dovbik making it 3-1 to one there as Ukraine advances. Here's Sam Borden with more. 30 minutes after the final whistle, Ukraine midfielder Alexander Zinchenko was still on the field, uh, hugging teammates, fans, pretty much anybody he could find at the end of a night that was more than he or most Ukrainians could have imagined. Yeah, obviously it's a, it's a great feeling, you know, to win the game, but everyone understand that we have another final, we have another game, and if we are not going to win another game, so this game is not going to mean anything. Obviously, I'm so uh, grateful uh, and, I, and I would like to say massive thanks for all Ukrainians who, who came tonight. Uh, but also, apart from it, I would like to say massive thanks uh, to every Ukrainian who has been watching the game because I know that it's not easy to get, to get here and uh, especially now. So I'm, I'm so proud to be Ukrainian, you know, and that moment was so special. I would say it's the toughest period in our lives. Everyone knows this. During these three months, you know, every one of us were surviving a lot of different situations. You know, some one, some one of us, you know, lost their families, their friends, I don't know, whatever. And uh, to be focused on the football is not easy, but we need to fight because uh, there is two options. You can give up or you need to carry on. You, knew, you know, you need to be on top of this situation and uh, you need to do your things 
as better as you can. After the game, most of the players we spoke to didn't want to talk too much about the game itself. They were wrapped up in the feeling, the emotion of it all. The same for the fans. 2,000 Ukrainians, a mix of expats and refugees, reveling in a night of pure positivity. As Zinchenko said, every Ukrainian has one dream, that this war should end. But as footballers, their dream is a little more simple. They want to go to the World Cup. And after tonight, they're one win away. All right, Herc, it'll be Ukraine or Wales joining the U.S., England, and Iran in the World Cup group. Who do you think the U.S. would prefer to see advance on Sunday? Scotland. I told you they wanted Scotland. You know, this set... Somewhere, Craig Burley and Steve Nichol are cursing And Mark name. Donaldson, as they should. Um, what a story. What a story Ukraine, Ukraine is. Yeah. I mean, it's an unbelievable story, everything, given the circumstances that them as a nation the weight of that nation as footballers, mm -hmm. the pressure that they're carrying to have that type of performance, which is exactly why the U.S. men's national team wants to see Wales hmm. and not Ukraine. Ukraine makes it to this tournament. They're going to be the most difficult opponent in Group B for anybody. For England, for Iran, for the U.S. men's national team, if they get out of the group, they will be the tournament darlings. Any neutral, doesn't matter if you're a neutral, just anybody in general mm -hmm. will root for the Ukraine. You've already got a hard enough time thinking about England, how difficult the geopolitical battle will be mm -hmm. with Iran. To think that Ukraine will be in this tournament, given everything they've experienced, you better hope and pray it's Wells. You better hope and pray it's Gareth Bell. You better hope and pray it's Ramsey. I mean, that's what you're gunning for. Like, they're not just going to be the tournament favorites, though. I was surprised with how dominant they were today yeah, they were over Scotland. Good. I know Scotland isn't what it used to be, but Scotland has been playing better and better, and they've not been dominated really like that. So to go to Glasgow, to Hamden Park, yeah. and win 3 nothing, and really be the best team. I was... 3-1. 3-1, sorry. Yeah. I, think, I think if you're, you're worried about playing Ukraine for all the emotional factors, you also have to give them a nod for quality. Of course, we know Wales has Gareth Bale and all that stuff, but... Whew. Yeah, they're very good in transition, right? And they've got a few pieces just physically very gifted. It's going to be very hard to defend them. Yeah. I, it's not going to be by any means an easy game. Have you changed your mind on this? Because I feel like when we first looked at the three, you said you didn't want a piece of Wales. Or have you always been in Ukraine? No, I said Wales, just okay. because, I mean, maybe prisoner at the moment because right. Gareth Bale just dropped two yeah. against Austria, and how could you not? But I also maybe naively didn't think Ukraine would still be here in this position. Yeah, that way would be this good, too. And plus, we saw what they did at the uh, European Championships as well. So it'll be Ukraine-Wales, noon Eastern time on ESPN Plus on Sunday. The winner of that joins the U.S. in their group at the World Cup. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's transition to Mexico. They'll be in action on Thursday against Uruguay in Glendale, Arizona. Second of five games during this international break for Mexico. Of course, they beat Nigeria 2-1 to one on Saturday. They received Tata Martino and company getting ready for the match coming up in Arizona. Earlier Wednesday, we got our first whiff of what might be the probable 11 for Tata Martino uh, in the match against Uruguay. It won't be the uh, always tridente that we've seen. Of course, no Chucky Lozano. Alexis Vega reportedly will join Raul Jimenez and Tecatito Corona up top. A couple interesting names on that list. Gallardo there at left back. I know there's some folks on our production team that weren't very uh, excited about that. Here's what Tata Martino is expected to put out on the field. Let's hear from the manager himself earlier today. No, si nosotros tratamos de preparar, no, no preparamos partidos exclusivamente pensando en la Copa del Mundo. O sea, nosotros tenemos un problema mañana que se llama Uruguay. Eh, pensamos en un partido para poder ganar el, el día de mañana y evidentemente que dentro de eso no hay grandes oh, modificaciones. My. Estamos dentro de un, de un proceso que lleva tres años y medio con una idea de juego que tratamos de, esplama, de plasmar, como siempre digo, a veces este, 
llevada adelante muy bien, otras no tanto, pero nunca se puso en tela de juicio las formas que tiene la, la selección mexicana y mañana trataremos de hacer exactamente lo mismo. Y después lo del 9, teniendo en claro lo que usted mencionó al principio, ¿no? nuestro 9 Raúl, lo dije desde el primer día que asumí como entrenador de la selección, lo sostengo, este, nosotros necesitamos recuperar la mejor versión de Raúl, bueno, a partir de ahí veremos los, él o los acompañantes que pueda haber para disputar ese lugar. All right, time for three questions. First up, it's a friendly, but we are six months from the World Cup. Does the result against Uruguay matter for Mexico? No, the result doesn't matter. No, because even when they've beaten CONCACAF opposition, because mm -hmm. they were supposed to beat CONCACAF opposition to qualify for the World Cup, people weren't happy because they want to see what this team's going to look like. They want to see a clear, defined DNA, a style of play, which is something that they lost along the way with mm. Tata Martino. Somewhere along the lines of that, I think that, that Nations League. The pandemic could be, but I think it's the Nations League when you really, really thought to yourself, wow, what, what happened here? Where did this go? Um, and then towards the end, when you're like, this isn't even the same team I started watching. In the end, they were an ultra-defensive team. Very good defensively, but ultra-defensively. Ultra-defensive, excuse me. And not very good in the attack. And they got zero goals. Zero goals from that golden trident. When Chucky Lozano, Raul Jimenez, and Tecatillo Corona were on the field together, they scored zero goals. Those three. Mm. So you need to see more of a clear defined role for those players, more of a clear defined idea in the attack, idea as a team, just identity, if you will. You say the result doesn't matter. I would say the result actually does matter a little bit just in the terms that Mexico needs something, anything positive to hold on to. So I think the result does matter a little bit. What I think really matters is the performance. I think specifically for the manager, I think Tata Martino needs a good performance from this team. You talk about all that talent. Or what? Or we'll continue to go down this negative path where there's not a lot of good vibes around the national team and we continue to have questions about what this team can actually Will he lose do. his job before the World Cup? No, no. But that's the, just because he's not going to lose his job doesn't, doesn't suggest that the, the performance isn't important. If that's the case, then why, why even play the games? It's super important to this team. You're fine. What have we always knocked against Mexico? Well, they, they don't have competition. Okay, well, here you have not just World Cup competition. Yeah, or, very good competition. You have likely knockout round competition. This agree. is the measuring stick. If you're Mexico and the goal is always quinto partido, this is the type of competition yeah. that you need to play well against. Them and Ecuador. I mean, those are two likely teams that could be knockout opponents. I mean, Ecuador's group, group A could likely be a knockout round opponent. Uh, I think most are expecting probably them and, and uh, uh, Netherlands. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you, but in the end, If you're left the good sensation about how they play, even though you lose, mm -hmm. the result goes out the window. It, this can be one of those situations, jugaron como nunca, perdieron como siempre. <laughs> like, think about that. It's in a saying, like, they've played, they, they played like they never played, and they lost like they always lost. Like, this is, Mexico has overachieved in that sense. I don't mind it this time, Sam. Yeah. I don't mind it at all. Well, uh, if we think about the progression, too, for this window, the guys who were the bubble players were supposed to play against Nigeria. So, in theory, we should get more of a first-team look. Well, that's, what they, that's what's been said. Mauricio Imai, our colleague at East So, shouldn't we Deportes. expect a, a better performance, then? Well, I don't know. I cut him some slack on the performance against Nigeria because it's the guys who don't play together right. and, are, and are trying to make the bubble. Right. Uh, but if you're going to give me the starting team against Uruguay or something closer to it, I have the right to expect a better performance, no? Against Uruguay? Yeah, better performance. You don't have the right to expect them to win. I don't think so, do you? Mm, I don't know. I also have a right to expect it because that's what... Is the expectation to win? Not don't go Uruguay. quiet. Okay. Not against Uruguay, okay. if I'm being honest. Okay. I don't think, it's, I don't think the expectation... So if the expectation is not to win, what is the expectation? They got to play well. They got to play even with Uruguay. You got to play even. Don't get played off the park. I agree. Don't look Which like Which is trash. why the result does not matter. Also, well, okay, fine. Result, no. Performance, yes. Again, because Tata Martino told us this. Remember back in late March when it was the crunch of qualifying. What did he say? Qualifying for the World Cup. That's going to allow us to play better. Well, buddy, here we are. Here we are. You've qualified. So show us. Show us. And maybe, maybe show us a couple players. Two players who a lot of fans want to see. Diego Linus and Marcelo Flores. Who, Herc, between these two needs minutes against Uruguay more? So, based off what 
Mauricio Mayas told us that the first our colleague at our ESPN, colleague on ESPN, ESPN Deportes, who's yeah. uh, following the Mexican national team. You now will see more of a first choice lineup, first choice players when it comes to Uruguay and when it comes to Ecuador. Well, neither of these guys are first choice then. Well, hold on. If that's the case, then the player who needs this the most is Marcelo Flores. If that's the case, if Marcelo Flores has any hope of making the World Cup team and he doesn't play in this game, that pretty much tells you, you ain't going to the World Cup, buddy. But if he plays, oh man, there's a chance. You're telling me there's a chance. Didn't we and already learn that when he didn't play against Nigeria, though? No, 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 like no. Like, if that was the bubble team, I don't think that was the bubble game. I don't think that's the game to measure. I think if, honestly, if you have a conversation like Tata Martino, hey, if you gotta make a commitment, and all of a sudden, three days later, there's a commitment made, and it's public, and he's on this roster. He's never been on a first choice roster. You gotta watch him play. You gotta see him play. You gotta give him an opportunity because if he doesn't get the opportunity, if Tata Martino doesn't give him the opportunity, it's the biggest injustice of all. Let him fail in front of everybody or let him succeed in front of everybody. You pretty much know what you're gonna get from Diego Linus in, the, in, in that green jersey. You know what you're going to get. His play in this game isn't a make or break deal for him. I think it is for Marcelo Flores. Him not even playing is a make-or-break deal for him. I agree with you in that Linus is on the plane. He's just trying to grow his role, I think. I okay? I think. Marcelo Flores, as you state, is not on the plane yet and is trying to get on the plane. So from that regard, of course, Marcelo Flores is in more desperate need of the minutes. But that's looking at it from the player perspective. If I flip it on its head and I say from the team perspective, which player do I need more from Mexico? And I'm not thinking 2026, I'm thinking 2022. It's Diego Linus. As a fan, I want to see Diego Linus right now more than I want to see Marcelo Flores because he's more a solution for right now. So I think Mexico needs Linus now more than they need Flores. You disagree with that? Uh, And that's why for me, it's Linus ahead of Flores here. If I'm thinking about this year's good sensations, who's giving you more? I think it's Marcelo Flores. What Marcelo you, Flores has instilled more good sensations. I didn't say I didn't say For results. what? For youth ball at Arsenal? No, 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 no. For the Mexican national team, for the fan base. You're talking about the fan from, base. From his U20 work? There are people, there are people who would rather see what Marcelo Flores can do in a Mexican national team jersey than Diego Linus today. Whether that means recuperating Diego Linus or not. Out of curiosity. Out of curiosity only. Because he's one of four players. He's one of four players who have debuted with the Mexican national team before their first team. And oh, by the way, the other three happen to be very good players for the Mexican national team. So yes, excuse me when I say there are more people who want to see Marcelo Flores than Diego Linus. Okay, so Diego Linus is not in the probable 11 that we showed you uh, for tomorrow night against Uruguay for Mexico. But Alexis Vega, as you saw, is. And he had some very interesting comments about trying to break into that front three for Mexico. Here's what he had to say. Obviously, we know that we have a lot of competition. Raul Jimenez, Chucky, Tecatito have been playing well in Europe. The Chivas man went on to say, we are aware that we can put in hard work and perform so that we catch Tata's attention and he can take us into account at some point. All right, Herc. So uh, of the front three there for Alexis Vega, uh, who do you think he's most likely to replace if he is going to find a starting spot in that tridente? Tecatito Corona. I mean, you didn't even you didn't even add a no. freaking eyelash. No, and I told the I told the producer to get the B-roll ready because <laughs> I knew this one was coming. Um, Tecatito Corona may be on a resurgence with Sevilla. He's a lot better than he was at Porto with the Sevilla jersey. Mm-hmm. He's still lacking in that department with the Mexican national team. Um, he's been a frustration, a vein of the existence of a lot of Mexican national team uh, fans in their eyes, especially this season. He's not the same player. His confidence is low with the Mexican national team jersey. He doesn't seem like he has the 1v1 ability in him, and that's his best trait. It seems like oftentimes he doesn't want to take on players. It seems like he's lost in these games. And do I really want to take off Chucky Lozano? Mm-hmm. No, I don't. But Raul Jimenez, as, as non-operative as... Raul Jimenez has been for both club and country, he's still the best nine and a half. He may not be at the same level that he was pre injury Because Alexis could be a nine. I don't like him as a nine. Really? He may, he, may, he may be not at the same level as he was pre-injury at Wolves, but he's still at a very good level and plays in the Premier League. You're not taking him out. So it's got to be Tecatito Corona. Tecatito right now is, is the odd man out in this. And Alexis Vega, for all intents and purposes, is a very good player. He happens to be a, a player who's probably in form of the, all the offensive players, the most form, I would say. Mm. So it's definitely not Chucky. It's definitely not Chucky Lozano, right? He's, he's starting, you're not, you're not taking him out. 
I don't know if Alexis Vega is the, is the replacement for Raul Jimenez at number nine, but I think you can make a pretty strong case. I've made it before on this show that they do need to start thinking about a replacement for Raul Jimenez. It has to be Tecatito, as you say, by default. I wonder, though, how, especially from Tata Martino's perspective, how do you evaluate what Alexis Vega is going to do over the next few months at Chivas versus what Tecatito is going to do over the next few months at Sevilla? It's, just, it's totally different levels. It's totally different levels, and... It almost seems... If that's the direct competition... It seems unfair, it seems harsh, but we see this happen all the time, especially in the Mexican national team. They seem to overvalue domestic play over European play. And in the eyes of a lot, playing in Liga MX is better than sitting on the bench in Europe. And evidence of that is how players like Orbelin Pineda have sort of fallen off. Players like uh, Diego Linus have sort of fallen off. And they all go with an Alexis Vega. They'll go with... Charlie Rodriguez when he's healthy, et cetera, et cetera. Alexis Vega, you give him an over 50% chance to start a World Cup match or under? I'll give him an over to start a World Cup match. Yep. To not, start. Yeah, not start, start consistently. Yeah, but to, to start, yeah look, yeah. there's going to be rotations. There's of gonna course. Be, we assume that's a front three. You, you, so you're giving him a better than 50% chance to break into that at some point in the World Cup. Yeah, because he's that good of a player. Wow. And because the others aren't performing. Like if I had it right now to, to say... How many players are performing well in this Mexican national team pool? Look, here it is. It's a, it's it's, a, it's it's a Memo shallow Choa. part of the pool. It's, it's Memo Choa, okay? Yep. It's Cesar Montes, the, star, the center back. And it's Edson Alvarez. Eric Gutierrez. Give me my Eric. I'll give you Eric right now. I'll give Love. you Eric. But he's not played at the national team level. you got to include all three. And those are the only three. Okay. Uh, one guy you didn't mention oh, in there. Excuse me. One guy you didn't mention in there. Hector Herrera, who, of course, we know is making a move from Atletico Madrid to the Houston Dynamo. Did you see? He publishes first picture in the lovely Houston kit. Look at that. H-Town, Herrera. Uh, good player. Don't know if he's going to a good team. <laughs> Don't know if he'll make a difference on that team. They're uh, seventh in the West right now. He's expected to report to Houston after the international break. Did you catch this earlier today? The finalissima, the European champions, Italy against the Copa America winners, Argentina from Wembley. What a showdown. Chiellini's final match with Italy. We'll have a little bit more on him later in the show. Lionel Messi, as always, taking center stage. 28th minute, it's Messi, the setup man. Lautaro, 1-0. Lautaro, I mean, how good is Lionel Messi right here? All those talks of he's done, PSG, this and that, he's old, doesn't move. Like, he was just bossing this game. He's a beast. I'll tell you what, Argentina and Lionel Messi are going to be a problem for anybody in Qatar. Mm. We know they're going to play in Mexico. We know they'll play him in the group phase. One nothing there early on for Argentina. Oh, but they were far from done. Just before the half. Angel Di Maria. Look at Lautaro. Look how strong he is. Uh, just turns him and Di Maria right there. Oh no, Kilini. Oh no. Angel Di Maria is 34 years old. Angel Di Maria ain't got, that, he ain't got that pace about him anymore. Oh no. Look at his strength right here. Like, what are you doing there? Just turns them, and then look, you get, you get center backs running backwards. It, it's all over. It's a good ball in. A silky finish, Sebi. What are you going to do? This Argentina was pragmatic. They didn't look very pragmatic today. They, they look very, very dangerous. They find a third in second half stoppage time. Messi running the break, and if you're the Italian defense, that is never a good thing, especially when it's a three-on-two. Messi eventually loses it, but Dybala hammers home. Dybala, who's without a team, uh, reports that he was offered to Monterrey, Rayados Monterrey. They said no once they saw the salary. But this is a dangerous team. You mentioned Italy. Like, man, they got old. They got old quick. <laughs> That's what they said about you as well. 32 unbeaten mm. straight for Argentina as they claim. Vení, vení, Messi. As vení. they claim what we're calling a major trophy. Okay. Oh, major trophy. This one. <laughs> okay. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 
MLS news now. Charlotte have fired coach Miguel Angel Ramirez just 14 MLS games into their expansion season. Assistant coach Christian Latanzios to take over on an interim basis as Charlotte sits eighth in the Eastern Conference. Lots of folks asking why. Charlotte Sporting Director Zorn Cornetta didn't exactly clear that up, Herc, when he said, I don't want to go into details. It's not going to help anybody. Uh, okay. But here's where it gets really interesting. John Hayes, a Charlotte-based reporter, is reporting that an unnamed designated player, Herc, refused to play for Charlotte if Ramirez was still in charge after the international break. Drama, suspense, intrigue. Hercules Gomez, what do you make of it? So per the athletic, this player is Karol Swiderski, right? Mm-hmm. The Polish international. What do I make of this? Um, it looks because Zoran, the sporting director, hasn't provided much context. Like, one single player is holding a franchise hostage, is holding a team hostage, is making decisions, and you are siding with said player. A player who, by the way, makes 2.26 million dollars. A player who's coming from the Greek first division. So, the first time in Major League Soccer's history where a player is calling the shots, because that's what it looks like here from per the reports. And you're saying it's not Zlatan, it's not Beckham. It's not Zlatan, it's not Beckham, it's not Kaká. It's not even the highest paid player in the history of Major League Soccer, Shakiri. It's Karol Swiderski. This is pathetic. This is weak. Miguel Angel Ramirez may have not been liked by certain players. May have been abrasive in his styles and style in dealing with said players, per reports. But what you are now making this organization to look like is a circus act. A very entertaining circus act, and as we know, they are filming a reality show in year one, so I can't wait to watch that. But this is a bad look for Charlotte and for its fans. It's very good fans. It's passionate fans. And Miguel Angel Ramirez, for all intensive purposes, may have been a bad coach to certain players, but his record did not indicate that. Isn't every coach a bad coach to certain players? Aren't I've had always, more bad coaches than good coaches. Right. Yes. Aren't there always unhappy yes. guys uh, yes. in every locker room? So to your point about the circus, can I just read you some sure. Cornetta quotes? We wanted to change direction. That's it. Oh, okay. We have taken into consideration word for many factors. We had no choice. We had to do it. There he has said nothing but opened the door to potentially anything. I mean, that's terrible communication from a sporting director who I will remind folks is a former agent. And I think that's what we have the problems here, right? Is we have an MLS front office that is being run by a former agent. And I am- Not drawn- the first time. No, but what Baronelli, I'm- Baronelli, it's San Jose, what same I, thing. What I'm drawn to here is I feel like, cause, and maybe I'm just uh, applying this because I just saw it happen in DC. We saw Hernan Lozada, who had success and was liked by a big portion of the fan base, get fired basically for relationships, both with players but with front offices. And what I think is I think there's some, there's some guys who are coming into this league as coaches from other parts of the world with new ideas, and they're getting run right out of town. And I wonder if some MLS front offices are getting a little bit exposed, yeah. right? Are getting a little bit like, hey, we want to bring in new guys. Okay, new guys, come in with your new ideas. Oh, you want us to change A, and you want us to change B, and you want us to change C? <gasps> Let me clutch my pearls. We could never do that. You're fired now. I think it happened in D.C., and I think it happened here in Charlotte. Yeah, D.C., DC I think, is a little bit more complex than that, sure. just because everything was going on with the player relations and, and how murky and awful that looked. But with Zoran, the sporting director here, I'm sure he didn't like it. When Miguel Angel, Miguel Angel Ramirez goes on air in public and says, Estamos jodidos. Yeah. We're screwed. I'm sure he didn't like it when he says, I'm not Harry Potter. There's only so much I can do with this roster because that's a direct shot at guess who? Yeah. Zoran and the roster that you have constructed or have tried to construct. That said, you look at first-year franchises in Major League Soccer, this was not even close to one of the worst. No. Not at all. And oftentimes, I called a few of their games. They're playing against teams like Atlanta who spend a hell of a lot more money. And you're thinking, like, wow, just nullified this $17 million player. That's a very good tactical plan by this coach, a very young coach, a very new coach in this league. Like you said, fresh ideas. He may be a prick. He may be not liked. That doesn't matter. It's on the field. And this, while that's it, let's move on. Talk by Soron. Mm -hmm. It's pathetic. And you shouldn't handle it. You shouldn't have time for it if you're a Charlotte fan. Yeah. Miguel Angel Ramirez was, if nothing else, and we loved it, he was outspoken. 
So was Hernan Lozada. And you know who doesn't like that on top of the sporting directors? The owners. And at the end of the day, the owners are the guys who pay the bills. And if you piss your owners off, what happens? That's why I'm going to be a good owner. Yeah, right. <laughs> you gone. All right, uh, we mentioned it during the highlight of the finalissima. Giorgio Chiellini playing his last game with the Italian national team. So what's next? Ah, that deal to LAFC appears to be done. The 37-year-old Italian defender going to join LAFC on a free transfer. Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic reporting it's on an 18-month TAM contract. That's targeted allocation money, so no designated player deal for Chiellini. Herc, as we sit right now, LAFC are first in the Western Conference. They lead the Supporter Shield race. Does the Chiellini signing make them your MLS Cup favorites? No. No? Who is then? No. Well, it's not It's not because they added Chiellini that, he'd be, that they would be oh. MLS Cup favorites. Were they already your MLS no, Cup No. They will be a better team, but not MLS Cup favorites. Now, I think this is a great signing at TAM level. I think he offers a lot. That said, he's not played a full season in I don't know how long. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how long he's played a full season. And you have Fall, you have Murillo, you have Eddie Segura, who's coming back from that knee injury. Um, it could be a very good addition to that back line and maturing that back line and the leadership he can instill in that locker room. But by no means is he going to make them MLS Cup favorites. In fact, he may even weaken them at times when he plays. Mm. It's a very physical league. And you saw Angel Di Maria just run right by him. You saw how much he struggled in this game. Good player, absolutely. Wealth of experience, absolutely. Will you count on him game in and game out from here to the rest of the season and count LAFC as favorites? No chance. I was looking at the uh, latest Vegas odds for this. New York City FC is actually who Vegas thinks right now is your- What do they know from Vegas? MLS Cup, yeah, well you're from Vegas too. Plus 450, LAFC is second at plus 500. Then we get Philly and your beloved Seattle at plus 1,000. Uh, plus 1,000? Seattle's, uh oh, there it is. Get the bet book out. Herc's going in big on uh, on Seattle. Uh, should be very- I've, I've, I've only got pestles, but take them. <laughs> Take them. Uh, MLS action on your screens on ESPN Plus this weekend. It's Vancouver against RSL. That one's Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go Chivas. They announced on Tuesday Ricardo Cadena will take charge of the team for the upcoming year, thus removing his interim tag. Uh, Cadena took over in April for Marcelo Michel Leaño and got Chivas to the playoffs where they were eliminated by Atlas in the quarterfinals. Herc, what's your gut telling you? Will Chivas now non-interim manager live to see the end of the next season? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, by live, I mean... Um, Live to be the manager. Correct. He will actually. Correct. Yeah, I know. I, I believe so. That's about the average of a Chivas. The average manager. lifespan of a yeah. Chivas manager. Was it 1.1 years, if, if give or take? 1.1 seasons. <laughs> no, no, it's years. Two seasons. Uh, a little over two seasons. Yeah, I believe so. Not just because of that, but I actually think he's a decent coach. The only game he lost was against Atlas. He happens to be a very good coach, and the first thing he did is he brought order. Now, I've always said. They are being priced out of the game, Chivas, because they have a necessity to purchase Mexican-only players, and the rest of the league, league knows this. So the price is inflated to Chivas. So you have to develop. You have to build from within. You have to promote. You have to have these players playing in first division. Cadena knows these players. He knows how good they can be. He knows their strengths, their weaknesses, etc. He opens that happens to be a good coach. When Michel Año left, he left and people were like, why didn't he play a nine? Why are you playing this way? And the, one of the first things he does is he plays with the nine. He, he plays players who are playing in the right positions. He plays with discipline. He plays in a style that's conducive to said players. He happens to be very simple in the way he approaches the game. And I think that's a necessity for Chivas. Mm -hmm. Will there be world beaters and, and favorites for Liguilla, favorites for top four? I don't think so. But I think there will be a decent team, a disciplined team. As far as whether he survives the season, I think it's a fair question because I think a lot of it has to come down to the start, right? If you get off to a bad start, pressure mounts. And I don't know that Chivas is a team you look at and you necessarily say, oh, like this team is incapable of getting off to a bad start. 
They've gotten off to bad starts. We've seen that already with this group. I think that could very readily happen. I don't think he'll get fired because he deserves it. He may well deserve it. I think he'll end up keeping the job probably because Vergara doesn't want to fire him, right? It's somewhat of a lack of ambition slash somewhat of a, I don't want to get more egg on my face. I just did this with Leano. I can't really go back a half season later and do it again. This is the only thing that worries me about Cadena keeping his job is you mentioned Vergara making the choice. Well, at some point, pressure is mounting for Ricardo Pelaez. Mm. And if it's mounting for Ricardo Pelaez, the sporting director, he's going to have a say in who the coach is, and he's not had a say in the last two, I don't believe. He wasn't, didn't have a say with Michele Año, and he doesn't have a say here with Cadena, I don't believe. So if that's the case, and Ricardo Pelaez is still around, Cadena may be on uh, a short leech. You should remind you, no show on Thursday. This was our uh, second Tomorrow. show of the week. Thursday. Well, yes. I like to say Thursday because people watch it on demand. You never know what day they're watching on, so... Thank you for correcting me, though. I know you love to do that. Uh, so what do we got on Monday's show? We'll have a U.S.-Uruguay recap. Yes. Um, of course, we also have Mexico against Ecuador. They're playing on Sunday as well, so we will be recapping that as well. So that'll be it for us. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. For Herc, I'm Seb. Make sure to download the podcast. There it is, bottom of the screen, Football Americas. Watch us. Listen to us. I love Please. you, Dad. Tell your friends. Oh, and tweet us. Yeah.